Okay, we're live. We've got a big guest today on the broadcast. Guy who scored the biggest goal in Canadian hockey history. That's all. Not much. Hang with us. Welcome to the broadcast. The broadcast with Rod Black. Brought to you by North Star Bets. That's a win. Now here's your host, Rod Black. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Rodcast. Rod Black with you, North Star Sports. So glad that you're with us for this edition, because today we're talking about one of the greatest moments in Canadian sports history, if not the greatest moment. Certainly the greatest goal. Yes, we're talking about this. Yeah, in, in 1972. Where were you in 72? Maybe you weren't born. I know where I was. And by the way, this might have been the greatest Canadian jersey ever worn. But we remember the words of Foster Hewitt when he said, Henderson took a wild step for it to fell. There's a shot, another shot. He scores. Henderson has scored for Canada. Or, or, or something like that. He kind of screamed it out. And uh, Nation absolutely went crazy and continues to celebrate 50 years later. Our guest today on the broadcast, Paul Henderson. September 28th, 1972, and it will be a day that will live forever in the hearts and minds of Canadian hockey fans and this fan because it was my 10th birthday. And Paul Henderson gave me the greatest gift ever. And what a gift it was to hockey. And here he is. Hello, Henny. Good morning, buddy. <laughs> it's so great to see you. How are you doing? How's the golf game? Doing pretty well. Still got a little battle with cancer, but uh, married to a wonderful woman, got a great family, and just very, very blessed. And uh, a lot of days, my golf game is very good. Other days, not so good. So you take the good with the bad, bud. Yeah, well, well I want to talk to you later about your family and your health and everything that you've gone through. But I do want to say happy anniversary. 50 years, Paul Henderson, since you scored for Canada. 50 years. Can you believe? Time flies when you're having fun celebrating a great goal. Well, well, like you know, I start September 28th by singing happy birthday to you every year. The great, it is the great. <laughs> I got to tell you. So for the viewers and listeners, uh, I get a phone call and it comes up. And every year, because of a good friend of ours, Bruce Bowser, uh, of moving fame and AMJ fame, uh, I got a chance to really get to know Paul Henderson as a not only a, a hockey hero of mine, but a great friend. And that friendship has carried on, but it is the greatest gift of all. Every year, Paul Henderson, Paul Henderson, that guy right there, calls me on my birthday. And guess what, Henny? It's going to be 60 this year for me, so I'm, ooh. But, hey, I hope I look as good as you do. You're almost 80 years old. Look at you. You look like you're 19 again. You're going to have to go to confession on that one, buddy. <laughs> but but happy anniversary. It's 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 no, it truly does a has a day gone by that somebody hasn't mentioned something to you about the goal of the century, the goal of a lifetime. Oh yes, nowadays I mean the circle. I mean the last couple of years, my circle is not very like we just. Can't go to restaurants. Yeah. Uh, my oncologist has told me you need to be really careful. And uh, you know, like I have cancer, and so we've been this. But the, you know, it's time. Time flies. 
it just, you know, Ellen and I, we, you go to bed at night, goodness gracious, another day is gone. But I mean, the secret to life, though, and I'm what you're aware of this, you get up in the morning and uh, try to be a blessing to other people and then enjoy it. Uh, and I, I'll take my problems. I don't want anybody else's problems. I'll take my own. And I pray every day, Lord, keep me safe from myself and the devil. These are the two people that I have to worry about most. Yeah. You are a great man of faith and you are a great man. You have given uh, your time and your heart and, and, your, and your family's time to so many charities through the years. But, uh, and, and again, I do want to chat about that, but let, let's go back to 72 if we can. And, and I don't know how much you relive it or if you still dream about it. I, I, people would dream about it happening to them. It happened to you. Never mind the goal. And, they're pro and you know, the funny thing, Henny, is we're at an age now where there are a lot of kids who, who've seen the grainy video and they don't quite understand the world the way it was, what happened in that series, how much hype there was around the series. Uh, how, how much how many people didn't know how good the Russians could be and they also didn't know that you not only scored a huge goal in game eight of the summit series but you scored huge goals in the last three games throughout the entire series take us back though to that time and what it was like you knew where you were in 72 well you know when we lost the first game in Moscow I said to my wife after that game, if we don't win the last three games, we're going to be known as the greatest losers in the history of Canadian hockey. And I think every guy on that team understood what we were up against. But I still remember Harry Sinden after we lost the first game. He said, gentlemen, there's three games left. Let's concentrate on winning game six. And if we win game six, we'll worry about game seven. Win game seven, worry about great, uh, game eight. And that was a wonderful speech because I think that's what we did. But the, the thing, you know, Rod, at no point did we ever believe that we couldn't beat them. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we lost the first game over there because of terrible referee in, in the third period. But the... the but I thought that was the first game where we'd really outplayed them. But we, what you know, the third period, the penalties we took were too much to overcome. And uh, so we just took it one game at a time. And by this time, Rod, we were down to the basic team that was going to play. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, it was a tough situation for the guys that couldn't play. We weren't winning and they got Hall of Famers that couldn't get in the lineup. And so there was a lot of tension here or there, but we finally got down. We knew the rules we had. Like our line was the shutdown line. We had to play against Karlamov's line. And like never once did I ever think about scoring a winning goal or anything like that. I went out there and they were not going to score against us. In fact, our line, I was the highest plus on the team because Ronnie Ellis and I were great defensive players and, and, and we were not being you know, we, we're not a liability. But for me, with my game, see, my, my speed and my shot were the best thing. And when you're playing with great players, you get into the open, they'll give you the puck. I mean, I was never – the only time I ever went through the whole team was the goal I scored in the seventh game. Mm -hmm. And so, anyway, I was anticipative. But here's the other thing, Rod, really interesting. We go over there, and before we're on the ice the first practice – 
John Ferguson was the assistant coach. And we're skating around and he come over to me and he said, you know, Henny, we need you to come up big over here. Your line has really been playing well, but you know how to score goals and you're quick. And so we just want to let you know that we're really counting on you. And, you know, we had all these Hall of Famers and it's amazing, Rod, what just a little bit of encouragement at the right time does for And I come home and I told Eleanor, can you imagine this guy, you know, they say they, they need me to come up big. But the, the other thing, too, I got a concussion the first game in Moscow. Went down, but thank goodness I was wearing a helmet. And by the <laughs> way, by the way, only three Canadian players wore helmets, which was very unique because all the Russians wore those. Oh, here, right here. This, this helmet here. All the Russians wore, like, of course, Wayne Gretzky made it famous, but all the Russians wore that helmet, which became a famous helmet, but it was you, Red Berenson, and Stan Makita who only had the helmets on your team. But take me back. I did not know that you suffered a concussion. Oh, yeah. I was, the guy tripped me. I went into the, went into the boards backwards. And the funny part about Eleanor, you know, what a great wife she is. Oh, beautiful she lady. Down there, and she said, get up, you sucker, get up. I'm not staying in that hotel by myself. Get up. <laughs> it's, uh, you know what a great woman she is. But anyway, I come in. Jim Murray, the doctor, looks over me and examines me. He says, Paul, you got a concussion. You got to take your equipment off. And Harry Sinden came in and said to Henny, the doc says you got a concussion. You can't play. And I said to him, Harry, don't do this to me. Please let me play. I'll take care of myself. I had a pounding headache. And he looked at me and he said, Henny, we sure as hell need you. And if you want to play, I'm not going to stop you. And I said, well, give me some time here. And so I came out about five or six minutes into the next period. And But today I'd have never been, no. I'd have never been allowed back on the ice, but that's one of the reasons I'm an idiot today. <laughs> no, you are not. No, you are not. But I, it, that, I did not know that. So let's start at the series beginning. So the first four games, uh, Prime Minister Elliot Trudeau drops the puck in Montreal. Uh, everybody is anticipating. I think everybody in Canada says, okay, these are the NHLers. And of course, you guys get off to a good start and you lose that game. And then there was kind of this panic, not maybe within the team, but certainly across Canadian media at the time. Who are these Russians? What happened? Then you go to the next game, you win the next game, you tie in Winnipeg, you go to Vancouver and you lose in Vancouver and your teammate, Phil Esposito, speaking of speeches, delivers the speech of a lifetime. Take me through those first four games leading up to Espo's speech and how that might have galvanized your team. <coughs> certainly did for the nation, it seemed. Well, Phil scored right off the bat in Montreal. I scored at the six-minute mark. Came back to the bench, and I looked at Ronnie Ellis and Bobby Clark, my two line mates, and they remember me saying this. I said, this is going to be a very long series. We knew we were in trouble. The physical conditioning, their skill level, and they broke every rule in the book. They come up the ice, and if they didn't look what like what they looked at, they turned back. You played for punch in black, then you ever went backwards, you were on the bench. You never, ever did that. And I felt sorry for Ken Dryden. 
every time he thought they were going to shoot, they passed the bloody thing. Yeah. And, and, and pass uh, backwards a lot. They, they passed oh, backwards. Well, you guys oh, never really saw that before. And uh, I felt sorry for him. But, but the biggest mistake Harry made, he only dressed five the defensemen. And asked for the second period, you saw the they just came at us. Our poor defensemen were just bagged. And uh, so we lose there. But but we come back to Winnipeg, or we come back to Toronto. And I would suggest to you, the best goal ever scored at Maple Leaf Gardens Ice was a shorthanded goal that Peter Mojave scored in the third period. And uh, we were shorthanded. And if they'd have scored in that power play, and we'd have lost that game, we were not. But anyway... And so we tied, we go to Winnipeg and uh, we we were leading in the third period. And then they, they put this rookie line out there, scored two goals in the third period. Uh, we tied. But uh, uh, we go to Vancouver. But what happened? Billy Goldsworthy took two penalties right off the bat. They scored two power play goals. We're down 2 nothing, And we got to open it up. And, of course, as soon as we did that, that didn't. But we didn't really play well in Montreal. And then Phil, and you know, the interesting thing, Phil never even saw that interview. None of us saw it at all uh, because we come back to Toronto. And, but Phil was, and I would say to you, well, he was, we had four captains, but uh, Phil was the leader on and off the ice. I mean, he's just a personality and, and, uh, and, and he, and I, I really believe in 1972, he was the best forward in all of hockey. He was coming off a 76 goal season that year. Uh, his Bruins were incredible. Uh, so I think Espo may have reacted as well because I don't think it, you guys were used to it. Canadian fans were booing Team Canada. And I think that's what kind of got Phil a little, the hot oh. Italian blood got him a little riled up. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, Johnny, you saw, let him go on. Yeah. Johnny just sat there and he said, oh, we are disappointed. We're just, and I mean, I think the Canadian pad, holy crap. Like, yeah. They should have showed us that. I yeah. wish I did. I didn't see it for years afterwards, yeah. but, but that's who he was. He just took charge. Yeah. And I would suggest to you, the third period he played in the last game, in, in, in Moscow was the best period of hockey any NHL player had played up till 1972. He just, he took that whole team on their back and he got a goal and two assists in the third period. Is that any good? Oh, yeah. And he's still such a character. So you go to Moscow. A sports team had never been behind the Iron Curtain. Take me back to that time. The Cold War was on for, again, viewers and listeners who, you know, this might might seem a little foreign to them. There, there was a Cold War on at the time. People hadn't been over there before. Was there any worry uh, for any of the players going over there? We heard of about some of the, the bugging escapades, maybe some espionage that went on, some spying behind the scenes. What was it like to go to Russia? I'm sure you had never visited Russia prior to that. Oh, not, none of us had. And it was a new experience. My wife was petrified. They had KBG... It, it, like on the floors, you had to hand your key in every time, and there was the, the door was set back, and you know it was people would look around the corner. To, my wife was freaked out, and then that's a, you know, when I went down there and I called them, yes, get up, you sucker! I'm not staying in that room by myself. The food was awful. I mean, it really, really was. And maybe it was purpose. I don't know. The only thing that I liked was the borscht, but and, and they they. It, but they became capitalists in a hurry. 
we'd taken a lot of meat over there, like steaks and that, and the wives would have enough too. But the Canadians were, they were paying the Russians to get a steak. And, and that, but that wasn't bad enough. But I'll tell you what, Rod, when they stole our beer, that was, that was war. That <laughs> was the end of it right there. <laughs> what happened? What happened there? Like, t- well, t- I've heard that. That's, that's infamous. Yeah, all the Canadians there were buying the stuff that was supposed to be for us. But anyway, my wife took a whole suitcase of food over there. She grew up in the farm and, and we'd heard that things were not good. So we had all kinds of people. She took cheese and cookies and peanut butter. Peanut butter was a big thing over there. Anyway, it was a, it was a, a, a but Rod, the thing about a communism doesn't work. Yeah. We went from the, when we were going from the airport to the hotel, never saw a house, not one. And you'd see the apartment buildings and you would see a lamp hanging down with a light bulb, not even a shade on it. Apartment after apartment the same way. And oh my gracious, this. Were you, uh, did they recognize did the, the Soviet people on the streets because they loved hockey? We didn't know a lot about their hockey system beyond the fact they won a lot of amateur gold medals, but we didn't know them as pros. Did did the Soviet fans recognize many of the North American players? Probably because of your hair, mostly, because you, you guys all had the mullets back then. Well, I had a deal with Riviera Slacks, and I got uh, I got 12 pairs of socks, slacks in the spring and 12 pairs in the fall. And I had the one. I had Were they big flares? Pardon? Were they flared pants? The big flares? Oh, yeah. oh for sure back then. And I had I, I must have taken eight different and all bright colors. And people would they'd stare at me. And in 72, everything was either brown or gray with them. You started any colors. And I think they woke up to the they saw us and these plaid pants of mine, I had all kinds of them. They'd just stand up, they'd take pictures of me. So, but then we went back in 74. There's a huge difference. Yeah. In yeah. those two years, the, the, there was more colors and that yeah. kind of stuff. But it was, it was, you know, it was a learning yeah. experience. The thing about them is incredible museums. Man, their history is there. And I enjoy, and the Russian, uh, we went to this Russian circus and it was mind boggling how good they are. And uh, of course, uh, Went to the ballet. My daughter was a ballerina, and uh, we uh, there was a lot to enjoy too. Yeah. Did, now the series itself um, got heated, clearly, um, and there was a lot of angst on both sides. I have heard that it was called, and I don't want to put the, the word "war" t- into it tritely, but it was becoming a war on ice, and. It was basically communism versus capitalism. Did you feel that in the dressing room? I know the media played it that way. And was there a sense of hatred towards your opposition at the time? Well, there was. And unfortunately, we hated them, but we should have hated the system, not them. Because yeah. I am really glad that we got to meet Tretiak and some of these guys. And Tretiak's English is pretty good. So we got to know him pretty well. But there was different, no question about it. It was our way against their way. But I know for, especially me, if we don't win, oh my God, I'm going to be part of the worst team in the history of Canadian hockey. And I'll tell you what, and you know the interesting thing, Rod, 
after I scored that goal in, 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 in uh, well, I should just tell how that happened. I don't think we talked about that. Did we have that leading up to scoring the goal? Yeah. Well, yeah. what happened? The game, of course, we tied the game. Cornway scores, we tied the game. And uh, I mean, by the way, again, you had to, to win the series, you had to win the game. A tie, the Soviets technically would have won. So you were down and you came back, Cornway scores, and then you take it from there. Okay. So Clark Ellis and I were out in the ice. And we come off the ice with about a minute and a half left in the game. And he sent out Esposito, Cornwallier, and Peter Mahovlich. And then he came down to us and he said, guys, if there's any time left, you take it. Okay? So we're sitting there. And Rod, I did something I never did before, never did it again. At about the one-minute mark, I got to get on the ice. And it was just like I didn't – we got to win this game. And I started yelling at Peter Mohavlich, the left winger. And Frank happened to be sitting beside me. What the hell are you doing? And I, well, thank goodness Peter come off. I jump over the boards and 10 seconds later, I score that goal. And maybe it was because I'd scored the winning goal in the two uh, previous games. But the, the, like, can you imagine me doing that? And imagine if the Russians would have gone down and scored a goal and we'd lost. See, I'd be in, living in Siberia today, not in Canada. If, yeah, but, if, you know, it's if, amazing. Like, I think... What if Trechy had made that save? Goodness. Well, that's mean. Oh, i got to tell you the great story about Trechy. I get involved, I get in, inducted in the International Hockey Hall of Fame, and it was over in Stockholm back, I think, in 12. And unbeknownst to me, they had Trechiak introduce me. And so Forsberg went in that uh, deer and, and, uh, and um, guy played for the Leafs from uh, captain uh, from Sweden. What, what I just, Matt Sundin. Oh, Sundin, yeah. Well, anyway, my turn to be inducted. Maha, or, uh, Trechiak walks out and they'd kept it a secret because we'd been there for a week watching some of the games. So, I mean, he had to say some nice things about me, so he did. And then he looks at me and he said, Paul, I know why you scored that goal. I've looked at those free plays over and over again. And Paul, the reason you scored that goal, and he stopped for about five or six seconds and looked at me. Paul, the reason you scored, it was very bad goaltending. <laughs> <laughs> and that just broke everybody up uh, and then he came and gave me a, a bear hug uh, and I've got to know him and it's really interesting my grandson Alton McDermott who plays hockey over in Kinesis and Trechiak's a grandson who was a goaltender they've been talking because there's several books Sean Mitten wrote a book and they've had conversations about what it was like to grow up and you have a famous grandfather uh, father and all that kind of stuff. So Alton has really learned so much. I think his name is Jake or something. But it's amazing how that was oh. our grandsons and, and contribute to the book because they yeah. quote both of them in this uh, book. Do, do you remember? Amazing. Do you remember uh, you and I, our, our good pal Bruce Bowser, play golf at Lionhead a few years ago with <laughs> Nick, young rookie Nick Antropov of the Leafs? I don't know if you remember. And I so remember. remember he's, he smoked 
at the time he speaks great English. Nick's a fabulous person, but I'll never forget sitting up. And I said to him, well, four holes in. And I don't think he kind of knew who you were, but he kind of knew who you were. And I said, do you know who that is? And I'll never forget his, his answer. And he looks, and he's a big, tall kid, right? Skinny kid. He goes, yes, Russian killer. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he also added my family hate him <laughs> yes my family hate him uh so henderson took a wild stab for it and fell here's a shot another shot he scores henderson has scored for canada how many times have you heard it how many times have you watched it i know that picture lives forever as well with yvonne cornwaye and you together it's unimaginable. I, that goal had to change your life. Oh, it, it changed it, it completely. But, you know, it, for five years after that, every time I heard that thing, like my, I could feel it in my... Wow. Now, I've probably listened to it thousands of times now. It doesn't do that anymore. But it's still just every time... Like, you know, you get a little older, and you know, like, how the Sam hell did you ever score the last three winning goals? And, I, like, I never, ever thought of scoring one winning goal. All I was out there to don't let the other Russians score. And so when you think about it, maybe because I'm getting, you know, I'm close to 80 years of age now. But I think, you know, I, I probably enjoy it every bit as much now as I did by then. Because, uh, you know, obviously, you know, the impact and the impact that a lot of people and I still get I got to tell you this one story. I get a letter at Christmas time from this lady. And she says, Paul, I want to thank you for the greatest uh, uh, Christmas we've ever had. She went on to tell the story. Her and her husband were getting a divorce. And the afternoon of the game, they were going to sign the papers and he'd come over to where they were living or she was living. And they were going to sign the papers. And the start of the third period, he looked in and he said, can I come in and watch the third period? And they weren't getting along very well. And so come in. So anyway, they sit down and Esposito scores and they did a little cheering. And then Cornway scores. Well, when I scored the goal, they went crazy. They were cheering and they found their arms around one another. And long story short, they, what the hell are we doing getting divorced? And he said, Paul, if you had not scored that goal, my husband would have walked out that door. I would have signed the paper and we would not be married today. And we got some counseling. We put our marriage back. We've never been happier. Thank you for scoring that goal. Imagine that. You saved marriages. Uh, <laughs> I would imagine nine months after September, there were a lot of young boys who suddenly <laughs> were named Paul or perhaps even. Henderson. I mean, the impact the goal had, you, you said it, not only on lives in Canada, but also lives in the Soviet Union. The world obviously changed. Um, the walls came down. Uh, Russian hockey players started to become professionals down the road. It was, But it was such a different time when you scored. And I'll never forget the aftermath and the melee on the ice. And I was watching, like most Canadians, in a in a elementary school on a black and white television and we're jumping up and cheering I, I don't think i've ever asked you this and i've known you for such a long time what happened in the dressing room after well the amazing part is 
I think most of us, Rod, were just done. And there was no jumping around or crazy or anything like that. And my wife's favorite picture of me is sitting there. And I probably didn't take off my skates for probably 30, 35 minutes. And we were basically, you know, looking at one across, a little smile. And I know I had two beers before I even took off my skates. We just sat there and there was nobody going crazy. It was just, we've done it. We went to war together. And even yet today, we get together with one of the guys who was in the spirit, that series and we went to war. And uh, there's just that wonderful, warm feeling. But I, I, I think we were just all done. We, we had given it everything we had. Everybody was on that ice. They were just exhausted. And, but great memories, great memories. So you're exhausted after these eight incredible games. Uh, you score the goal of your life, uh, the goal of the century. What happens when you come home? Well, it was just, it was overwhelming. Too much, too quickly. I mean, if I'd have been a Hall of Famer, that kind of stuff, but it was just, it was just everybody, too much, too much, too much. And and really the, the reality was that uh, we had to go right back into it. You know, training camp had been going on and everything like that. And, and unfortunately we would have been trying to, uh, negotiate a, a contract with uh, Ballard and we weren't getting very far. And, uh, and so, yeah, it was, it was a tough time. And, and, the, the, and when I got that plan, I, well, I pulled, I pulled my groin, uh, a really bad groin pull. And so I was hampered in a lot of ways. And, but it was just, it was just, and my wife is a very private person and she kept the house by, but, there was no way you could do it. And everybody wanted something, wanted me to do this. There was all kinds of endorsement deals came along and everything. And, uh, and of course, playing with Ballard and we had no, we had lost so many guys to the WHA. And uh, I knew we didn't have a hope in heck of winning the Stanley cup. And that's why you play hockey. And so I, I, I looked at everything, but I had no spiritual side to my life at this point. I had no, and, uh, but I think that, I, and I would say to Eleanor, you know, not, it, like, and I knew that I had everything I wanted. I had a great wife and a family and I, I was doing well financially and everything like that. But I would say to Eleanor, there's something missing. Like I'm just not content. And I know what the hell's missing because I got everything. And so that, it was a very frustrating time. And then when I get on the ice and the game would be tied, I could just feel, you know, that people wanted me to score. And then I tried to do things that I could, you know, you, you know, you got to play within what your gifts are. And I tried to do more than I could and it didn't go well. And I was hurt and very frustrating time. Actually went from a huge high to about two months later. It was probably one of the lowest points of my life. But you were able to bounce back uh, through your faith. Um, the goal, the goal obviously changed your life, but maybe that also precipitated a larger change in your life. Well, I didn't have any spiritual side. And then yeah. a guy named Mel Stevens asked me to look at, and he asked me to work at his hockey school up at Teen yeah. Ranch. And I said, yeah, I do that. What do you pay? 
And he said, well, it's a Christian school. He says, we can't afford to pay. I looked at him, do you not know who you're talking to? And then he said to me, Rod, he said, I see you interviewed on television. You always seem to have got an edge to yourself. He said, you don't seem like you're a very contented guy. You seem to be very frustrated. No one, like I said, am I wearing a sign or some bloody thing? Nobody said that. And then he said to me, Paul, have you ever looked at the spiritual side of life? And I said, no, I'm not into politics. I'm not into religion. You just get into arguments. And, and then he said to me, Paul, I can teach you how to live, live freely and lightly and enjoy every day. And, and he you've said, done that. And I spent two years, and he was the guy that really encouraged me to look at Christianity and yeah. taught me how to pray. And that changed, I became a Christian. That was in uh, uh, February of 73. And I became a Christian in March of 75. And then I got a great mentor. We went to Birmingham, Alabama with the, with the uh, Birmingham Bulls and a, a wonderful mentor, a businessman. Got me in a men's group. I, for I, when you think about it, it was so glad that you had this faith now because guess where you were playing? <laughs> the baby bulls. <laughs> that well, must have been a circus. Well, it was. It was it. But my family loved it. We get down in there and I put our girls in a Christian school and we got involved in a great church and that changed my life from the inside out. Really did. Then we uh we we were down there for eight years and it was a great experience when you look back on your hockey career and i i know you've got the goal and everybody wants to talk to you about the goals but there has to be so many other things that you're proud of i mean you had a glorious career i and, and again i'm your friend but i think you're a hockey hall of famer um i know you've been inducted into so many different halls and the order of canada by the way that is an incredible honor because of all of the things that you've done. But when you look back on your hockey career, what do you think hockey gave to Paul Henderson beyond the goal? Well, it gave me, like I grew up very poor. Yeah, never got a pair of skates till I was 10. I hated being poor. And, uh, and I, my desire is, when I was in grade five, I started practicing my autograph because all my heroes were, hockey players, Gordie Howe in particular, but I, I knew you, you make good money in a hurry. And I, if I could get to the NHL, then no. And so it was, it was just, I was being, you know, fear of failure, like fear of being poor. Mm. And, um, but when I look back on it now, that you got to have dreams. And this was my goal. And so I did the things that, and prevented myself from making stupid mistakes too. Uh, because I think when you have a goal, as you learn later in life, that I didn't, I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, and, and I took care of myself. And then, unfortunately, you know, I met Eleanor. I was 16 when I met Eleanor. She was 15. And I knew immediately this is a girl that I was going to marry. And, and, well, you know, you've met her. She is oh, just gold, heart and soul of the yeah. Henderson clan. And, and I can tell you, if I had a choice of all the women in the world. Yeah. I, could See, I, I know she's it. gone through life probably going, she's Paul Henderson's wife. But truly, you are Eleanor, husband, Eleanor Henderson's husband. <laughs> I mean, Nora That's, is, she is that, an amazing lady. Oh, she is. She's heart and soul of everything. And so, you know, when I look at that, I, like I'm very, very, I know I'm blessed. 
And the really good thing is I've learned that she's a lot smarter than me. <laughs> and I do not make any decision without discussing with her. And I, you know, like I, I figure I had to do everything people asked me to do, go there. And she says, Paul, you're not doing that anymore. And, and she says no a lot better than I did. And I think that for, you know, especially when I started the ministry and everything like that, I never took holidays for five years. I was so passionate about trying to get, you know, Bowsers and guys like that into, into men's group, helping them to look at. And so today she sets my schedule and uh, we've got a great relationship and, and unfortunately got great, we got kids, got great marriages and good athletes. And so I'd like, I, I can tell you, Rod, I wouldn't change place with anybody in the world. I don't want to be a day older. I don't want to be a day less. And I'm firmly convinced that you just, you got today, live it the best way you can. Try to be a blessing to others and don't get a big hit because that yeah. is no good. Yeah. And, and that perspective has really probably carried you through your health challenges through the, 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 I guess, what is it? Almost been 10 years now. And oh, uh, 12, uh, yeah. 12 years. And, and, and yeah, you are, you know, uh, you are someone who has had cancer, but Henny, you are also a cancer survivor. You know, you're a cancer survivor. I mean, what has this period in your life been like? Well, the good news is where faith is when you're not, when you have no fear of dying, you know, and, and the Bible tells you, don't worry, don't be fearful. And so I try not to worry about anything. You've got to be concerned, obviously, your, mm -hmm. for your family and friends and everything like that. But the freedom you have when you're, when, when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less, you know that you're very, very, mm -hmm. you're in a good space. Mm -hmm. And so I, I have found over the years, like, I, I, I can tell you, I probably have, there's probably 500 men that have been praying for me for the last 10 years and encouragement, you know, and those type of things. And so uh, I, I just, I'm just very content. I'm in a great space and, mm. and uh, got what? great neighbors. Got a, we've been in this house 32 years. And I tell Eleanor, the only way you're getting me out of here is a pine box because we're going nowhere. Um, so the 40th anniversary of this summit series, uh, and, and the great goal, uh, you could not attend, I think, because you were, you know, going through your battle at the time, your health battle. This is the 50th. And I know through the years, everyone has become close. I mean, I, I you know, I think there's always, you know, teammates and rivals, whatever, but I think Canadian players, generally have become very fond also of the Tretiaks and the Yakushevs. And there is this bond that you will have forever interrupted, of course, this year by what's going on overseas. Has to be something that really, have you talked to any of those, those former Soviet players, Russian players? It's clearly not, there's not going to be some sort of reunion, certainly not in Moscow. All the stuff that's gone on in Ukraine, how has, what kind of opinion do you have on that? And how has that changed your celebration this year of the 50th anniversary? Well, to be truthful, Rod, it doesn't change anything. This is a Canadian event. 
Yeah. This is a Canadian celebration. And so we don't need the Russians to pray. Yeah. And I don't think sometimes you're very good in Canada of celebrating. And so no. it doesn't bother me one iota that we don't have. Maybe it could have been okay. We're certainly not going to go over there. From my perspective, it's a Canadian event. Yeah. And we're going to celebrate. And so hopefully, but we've lost 10 guys off that team. Yeah, and, sadly, and Tony it, Esposito and, and, most recently, you know, so many, so many guys and it's going to happen, right? Well, and we don't know exactly, because, you know, with the politics going on in the world, everything got set back. So all the planning and everything like that. And so we were talking about doing an event in every city, but now it looks like there's going to be whatever it is, we'll do it, but we'll celebrate. But from my perspective, this is a Canadian event. Yeah, exactly. we're going to celebrate. Exactly. It, it, it is it is bizarre, though, to think of the in incredible irony that there was a Cold War going on back then. <laughs> and now there is, you know, this that's going on overseas. And you never want politics. I mean, think about what that series did for, for hockey, did for sport, change sport. I mean, eight years later, nobody, pe people did know how good the Soviet Union was. And of course, the Americans won the miracle on ice at Lake Placid. And again, stuff started to change. It's remarkable with sport. And I, you must be, a, you're, you're living testament to that, what sport can do to society and culture. Well, especially Canada, especially hockey. Yeah. But Canada, hockey in Canada will bring this country together like nothing else that I know of. Politics won't, doesn't matter what it is. But there's just something in, and you know, I love, Tarasov said this, and I, so, he said, you know, we as Russians, we can skate with them, we can, you know, we can do everything. But he says, we can't get what they have got. And that's the difference between, to me, democracy and, 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 uh, and, and communism. But I, I fear for our country today. I fear for the for the US, like we are going offside like crazy. Everybody's got rights, they want their own way. And, and I mean, that is disaster. You gotta be there for one another, for one another. But when it's all about you, like I would be petrified. I don't go on any media whatsoever, mm. Twitter, anything. If I say one thing, just take it out of context, you get yeah. crucified. Yeah. A guy doesn't interest. An interview, here's a perfect example. Guy didn't interview me right a few years ago. And he, I, we were talking about sportsmanship with my grandsons. I, the two of them are hockey players. And we were talking about sportsmanship. So then he brought up and he said, well, what about that goal? And what about Bobby Clark slashing that guy? And I said, well, in, in terms of sportsmanship, no place in that for sportsmanship. But I said, Bobby Clark plays the game. He's always played that game and always will play the game. The guy comes out and says that, you know, it was the worst. And but he didn't put it into context. And that made me very, very wary of that. I didn't know this guy very well. But, yeah. you know, I to me, yeah. he was a sleazebag. He just yeah. wanted to make a point. I had to go back to Clarkie and Clarkie was pissed off, too. Well, of course, he would have been. Yeah. I said, and, and so Clarkie and I are fine today. In fact, I, said, I I did an interview last week and the guy said, did you and Clark ever make, did you and Clark ever make up? 
Yeah. So there's what, you know, that's what drives me crazy yeah. about yeah. a lot of things. And well, a, yeah. And I live in that world and that drives me crazy about that, the stuff that, you know, you live in this little clip world and the clip lives forever, but you know, the, the clip that will always live forever is, is, is your goal. And a couple little things that I want to, before we have to go and I thank you. You're so generous with your time. Um, we talked about helmets and we talked about that Yofa. Now, this is not, not your helmet, but this helmet, I remember as a 10 year old, remember the CCM's helmets they used to have, they were like, um, and you had one, they were a little thinner, Red Berenson wore them, a uh, few guys wore them, they were very thin, but I, I'm pretty sure you might've been the first guy to have this style of helmet, which by the way, hasn't changed much through the years. And because, did, did, I'm sure you knew, but when you scored that goal and you had that series, every kid in Canada wanted the Paul Henderson helmet, the Henderson helmet. How did it, I mean, I think you were the first guy to wear that kind of, because it was either the big salad bowl or that little CCM thing. Here's the story. I'm playing for Detroit Red Wings. I'm in front of the net, uh, trying to uh, scream the goaltender, Doug Barkley, let a slap shot go hit me right here. How cool. In the hospital for three days, they come out and you got to wear a helmet. And I did not want to wear a helmet. No one, you know. Yeah. So anyway, my, uh, I have to put a, can't play without it. So I finished off the year and I had no intention whatsoever of putting the helmet back on. That summer, CCM came and offered me an endorsement deal. And my wife was saying, Paul, keep the bloody helmet on, you know. So when they told me what they were willing to pay me, I thought, oh, my God. Here before, Makita put one on, and he won the scoring race. And so, and so I go to training camp, and we're in training camp, and I put the helmet on. And Sid Abel came to me, and he says, Paul, he said, we don't want any of our players wearing helmets. And I said to him, well, uh, Sid, this is what they've offered me, this deal. And it was hell. And I said, this is what they're paying me. And he said, bullshit. <laughs> he said, I want to see the contract. So I got the contract and showed to him. And I said, here's the deal. If you don't think I'm playing well, I will take it off. But if I'm playing well, I think that I should be able to make this money. And he said, okay. Well, the great thing for me, the eighth game of the series of the, of the year, New York come in, the Rangers. We beat them 5-3. I got four goals and one assist. And Sid come up to me after and he said, I've got no problem with you wearing a helmet. <laughs> and that was the story. You know, like you talk about, look over my life, four goals. Gordy Howe never scored four goals in a game in his life. And I get those. And so, and the CCM was great. Like, yeah. I, I should have. I mean, they were, and even when I jumped to the WHA, they knew that we'd done such a great job. They they continued to pray, uh, pay me when I was down playing in the, there you go. And I've had all kinds of, I've had several people say, yeah. my parents bought me a helmet for Christmas and it wasn't CCM and I don't take the See, bloody thing back. That happened to me. <laughs> I, I, that happened to me. I, they gave me a Winwell, nothing against Winwell, but it was like a salad bowl. And, you know, I didn't like the salad bowls at the time. Makita wore the salad bowl. Uh, a few other guys wore it. And, and I said, no, I, and I cried. I actually cried. And then my parents took it back to Zellers and they got me. And when I got the Henderson helmet, I will never forget. But think about this for a second. 
think about Sid, if they don't allow you to wear the helmet, okay, I'm just thinking aloud, maybe you don't do the endorsement deal, right? Then you go to the Summit Series and you hit your head on the ice and that concussion is really bad that you can't go back in those games. This oh, might have been a... This helmet might have, might, have, might have won the Summit Series. <laughs> I, I totally agree. I told I have a concussion with an arm. I probably... Well, then who knows? So the other one I want to ask you about is the, your number. Because um, I'm really into numbers. And, and you know, when I was growing up, I'm sure you too, when you were growing up, everybody, kid had a famous number. And the numbers at the time, and this is no due respect to you, the numbers to wear when I was growing up, the hot numbers were four for Orr or Belleville. Uh, nine for Hull or Howe, seven for Espo, and and maybe even I would say Tim Horton, but not not many people wore nineteen. Larry Robinson wore it a little bit after, but there weren't many. You know what I mean? Like, take me to how did you get nineteen? My wife's birthday is March nineteenth. Wow, I did not know that. You know that's that's so, why. So here's the other thing, Henny. So nineteen again. I, I think I, you, you know where I'm going with the numbers and all the kids, you would wear them. And obviously kids later wore 99. So a young kid in Saskatchewan sees the goal that you score and it becomes his number. And his name was Brian Trotche. And he made 19 after you and Larry Robinson, I suppose. And then Steve Eiserman's hero is Brian Trotche. And now the, one of the most famous numbers, and now that they're so famous, 19, that they won't give it away, they turn it around to make it 91. Your number echoes throughout hockey history. <laughs> and you know who we have to thank? Your wife. <laughs> Your wife. Isn't that, isn't that, I, I think that's just great uh, symmetry. It is, it is. It's so fun to look back and to think, well, how did this happen or why did it happen? And then, like, you, you know me, like, I've been blessed. Yeah. Above and beyond. Like yeah. I should never, one of my buddies, Ricky Gates, we played golf at Mississauga. This is back in when I was really in bad shape. In the 12. husband of Barb Underhill, by the way. <laughs> exactly. And he went home and told Barb, he said, I think I played the last game with Henny. He just, he's got that cancer look at him. And two weeks later, I get into a clinical study in uh, at the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland. And that saved my life. If I, you know, the only thing they offered me in Canada was chemotherapy and I knew my body, I wasn't going to do it and yeah. got into that. And now today I'm just yeah. still kicking here all these years later. Yeah. You play lots of golf. Are you still a huge hockey fan? I, I know every time I've seen you and, and are you a Leaf fan? Oh, I'm still a Leaf fan. God, I think they're one of the, the most, I love watching them. They're an exciting team to play. I mean, Gosh, you know, they've got such talent on there. And I, like, I hated that I, I, when the, I would have chosen any team for them to play against except for Tampa. You know, that, yeah, I didn't like the playoff format. I, I didn't I like that either. And, you know, and God, they just, you, they had it and yeah. just, but, you know, that's hockey. You know, like I still, we lost the seventh, we lost this, well, I was in Detroit. Both years we should have won. I, I really believe that today. And I think the Leafs should have, but they, but they played the worst game. And I told you about junior hockey, but anyway, I'm a big Leaf fan. I cheer for the Leafs big time. Anybody, I cheer for the Raptors. I cheer for the, the, the Blue Jays. 
Toronto third through. Yeah, you are a huge sport. And I was going to ask you, you know, like a lot of re resumes and clearly in your incredible resume is minus a Stanley Cup. But, but anyone living in Toronto over the last <laughs> five <laughs> years has been minus a, a Stanley Cup. I mean, it goes to show you, especially back when you played as well, and you played in the original six era, uh, people go only six teams. Well, it was still very hard to win a Stanley Cup, and it still is the hardest trophy to win. Well, and here's, I'll tell you another story. The WHA come along and they, they, Johnny Bassett wanted to sign me. And I said, you know, the, and the other teams were after me too. And I said to Johnny, you know, I'd like to go and take the money, but I've never won the Stanley Cup. And so we're going to, and he said, well, Paul, I've signed Frank Mahovlich. Why don't you talk to Frank? So I phoned Frank and, and Frank says, yes, I've agreed. I'm going to play for the Toros. And I said, God, French, I'd love to take the money, but I've never won the Stanley Cup. And I, I and so, and he said to me, Paul, if you want to win the Stanley Cup, you better get traded out of Toronto. And this Frank Mahoney said, if they don't have it upstairs, they never get it on the ice. And they don't have a hope in hell of winning the Stanley Cup. Frank Mahoney said that to me. I went back with Ellen and I talked about it. Gone. And the best thing we ever did was get out of town and get away from Harold Ballard. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But imagine that, Frank. It's a yeah. game you look at. Paul, you will never win a Stanley Cup. If you don't have it upstairs, you'll never get it on the ice. And as long as he's around, they'll never win. Is that prophetic or what? Yeah, no, no kidding. Penny, I, I can't thank you enough for spending this time. I, I You know how much I care about you. And, and the other thing is to... Uh, I guess, you know, when you you start, and I, I know I am too, and you kind of think, how do you want to be remembered? Do you want to be remembered for the guy who scored the goal? Of course, you're always going to, they got postage stamps. <laughs> you're in every Hall of Fame imaginable. But when you look back like decades and decades, when we're all, when we're all, uh, when we're gathered in hockey heaven, um, how do you want to be remembered? Uh, just, you know, Pretty good friend, pretty good father, pretty good grandfather. Enjoyed life, you know. But you know what you, 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 who you are is determined by other people. Yeah. And how they perceive you. And so you can fool people for a while, but nobody fools everybody for a long time. And so I just tried to be consistent. But you know, like, but my wife has probably taught me more by accident than anybody has on purpose like she, she doesn't even know how to spell competition <laughs> she would sooner lose a game yeah. than let the other people you know win yeah. like i try to beat you tiddlywinks like you know you're competitive just, <laughs> so anyway just yeah. one day at a time buddy and just yeah. live it to the fullest live it yeah. to the fullest yeah, but you are wrong about one thing you're not a pretty good friend you're not a pretty good guy you're not a pretty good husband you're not a pretty good father and grandfather you are a great friend and a great grandfather and you're a great man and you're canada's greatest hockey hero uh thank you on behalf of all canadians but thank thank you for the last 50 years celebrating my birthday and thank you for the goal thank you for the goal paul henderson well, I'm thinking of taking singing lessons so I can do a better job on the 28th when I sing to you, okay? Happy 50th. There, buddy. Yeah, happy 50th. Can't wait to see you on the golf course. 
Stay safe, stay healthy. Cheers. So happy to have Paul Henderson. So thankful to have Paul Henderson still around. He went through some huge health challenges, but celebrating the 50th anniversary of the goal of the century, the goal of a lifetime this year with his Canadian mates and with the rest of a nation. And also next year celebrating his 80th birthday. And so glad that he's he's healthy and playing golf and enjoying his family and his kids and his grandkids and, and doing well right now. So thank you, Paul Henderson, for doing what you do, being Paul Henderson. And thank you again for scoring that great goal back 50 years ago. Thanks to our sponsors. Thanks to North Star. Thanks to you. We will see you next time when we all get together once again for the broadcast. The Rodcast with Rod Black, brought to you by North Star Bets. That's a win.